episode 121 of the Aggressive Progressive podcast. Well, those seven hours of testimony would have been nice back in January when we impeached his sorry ass. Let's start the show. We are now the defenders of the stronghold of democracy and of equal opportunity. All right, I'm Chris Hahn. This is the Aggressive Progressive podcast. Thank you always, as always, for tuning in and telling your friends about this if you like it, hitting subscribe, and of course, follow me on Twitter. I'm at Christopher Hahn on Twitter for all of your Christopher Hahn information and my thought of the moment. Follow me there. But of course, this podcast premieres every Tuesday. And I'm here to talk about Jeffrey Rosen spending seven hours with the Senate Judiciary Committee testifying about how Donald Trump tried to subvert the election, tried to use the United States Department of Justice to subvert the election, to basically call into question whether or not the election was legitimate with literally no evidence whatsoever. And now, Jeffrey Rosen didn't go along with this plan. Jeffrey Rosen was acting attorney general for about four weeks, right? We all remember that Bill Barr, the president's lapdog, I guess fell out of favor because he said that the election was fair and that there was no evidence of fraud on the scale that would have impacted the results. So he resigned, I guess, on Christmas Eve of 2020. And Jeff, Jeffrey Rosen became acting attorney general for the remainder of the Trump presidency, which was only, you know, four weeks or so, if that. And during that time, some people within the Trump administration, particularly a, a guy by the name of Jeff Clark, who worked in the Justice Department, were pushing to try to have the Justice Department weigh in in a way that would throw the election into chaos and perhaps get Republican-controlled state legislators to legislatures to send an alternate slate of delegates to Washington uh, as the vote count for, uh, for their states, which would have been chaotic, right? Which would have ultimately led to there being an impasse and having no elected president which would have thrown it to the House of Representatives. And as you know, each state gets one vote for president. It's a ridiculous system, I know. It's completely ridiculous. Which would have led to Donald Trump, who received 7 million fewer votes than Joe Biden and multi, many, many, many less electoral votes than Joe Biden being president of the United States. Coincidentally, the Senate would then pick the vice president. And we had a 50-50 Senate. Right, the, the the vice president wouldn't have been able to break a tie, I don't believe, because I believe this would have had to happen after after January twentieth. I, I it, it could have been chaotic. I could be wrong. We went, might have had Trump Pence version two. Uh, unbelievable to hear that this was happening. Uh, where was Jeffrey Rosen when we impeached the guy? Right, the 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 man was impeached because of the chaos of January sixth because he incited a riot on January 6th. His defense was, well, come on, he was complaining about the results, but was he really doing anything? Well, yeah, he clearly was really doing stuff. Mark Meadows, the White House chief of staff, was actively involved in trying to get Jeffrey Rosen to steal this, steer this to Jeffrey Clark, who was a willing participant in the scheme. Jeffrey Clark needs to be subpoenaed immediately. He needs to be standing before a committee. And quite frankly, they all need to be standing before a judge real soon. 
Because this is the kind of thing that ends democracies. This is banana republic nonsense that needs to be punished, frankly. And I look, I have been, I've said this to you before. I'll say it to you again. I don't think Donald Trump will ever spend a day in prison in his life. Uh, but this is something that needs to be reviewed by prosecutors for Trump's involvement, for Mark Meadows' involvement, for Jeffrey Rosen's involvement, for Jeffrey Clark, for sure. Jeffrey Rosen, I think, might have done the right thing, but he should have done it sooner. Well, I mean, I guess he did the right thing at the, at the time, but he should have made it public immediately. He should have called a press conference in front of the, the DOJ. He should have testified before the House, uh, the House impeachment trial and the Senate impeachment trial. He should have been there. He should have been involved with this impeachment if he believed in this country, which it appears he did, right? You know, so look, it's hard for me to call him out. It's hard for me to say the guy did anything wrong because he did ultimately do the right thing. But I think that we would have been better served as a nation had Trump been removed from office and then barred from ever seeking office again through the impeachment process. It would have been a bolder statement that this kind of reckless behavior towards our constitutional norms, towards our historical norms, forget about constitutional norms. I, I think what we've learned through this whole process is that the Constitution is not fully adequate to deal with the, with, with a Donald Trump. And we have relied for 240 years in this country on the good graces of the men and women who occupied political office in this country, and particularly the men, almost... It, it's not almost exclusively men who have been president of the United States not to abuse their power. Yet we had a man in Donald Trump who was willing to do that, willing to buck norms, willing to say, ah, who cares this tradition nonsense? I'm Donald Trump. I'm going to stay forever. People like me. No, they don't like you. You lost. You had the, You may have had the second largest vote total in the history of the United States presidential elections, but you lost by the largest amount of votes of any president in the history of this country. You are, in fact, the biggest loser in the history of the United States of America. And people don't like you. Even the people who vote for you, they think, well, you're a jerk, but you're our jerk. They're just basically tribal idiots who are following you blindly because somehow they believe, and, and big danger in this country, right? They believe that our system of government should be cast aside to prevent people in the other party from having power. That is a big problem in America right now. We have a minority of people in this country, the Republican Party, who have benefited through gerrymandering, through the United States Senate system, which basically gives the same amount of senators to a state like Wyoming as it does to California. They have benefited through protections for minority voting blocks in this country, and yet they've seized power Yet they believe in their hearts that Democrats like Joe Biden are such a threat to the, to the United States of America that they would destroy our constitution for it. And in Donald Trump, they had a vessel to act upon that. A man who was willing to cast aside our traditions, our values, our law so that he can maintain power. So I am happy that Jeffrey Rosen has come forward and he is telling his side of the story. I do not think we should stop at just having a slap on the wrist for her, for whoever was involved here. I want to see jail time. And, and I think Jeffrey Clark for sure. And Mark Meadows, you better get yourself a good lawyer. You better get yourself a good lawyer because your time in the barrel is coming, sir. Because from what I see, you were steering 
this investigation to a guy who would be friendly to your boss in an attempt to overthrow the duly elected president of the United States, Joe Biden, overthrow the will of the people in this country. I wasn't happy in 2016 when Donald Trump got elected president, but I wasn't willing to throw out the system because of it. Republicans, it appears, are willing to throw out the system of this country, the system we have that has allowed our economy to dominate the world, the system that has allowed America to be this great force for good around the world, a light, a beacon of hope around the world. They are willing to throw it out because they are are, are, are so embedded to the belief that the other side is just so wrong. And quite, and quite frankly, I don't believe that any of the real leaders actually believe that, but they're willing to do it because they have no soul. Kevin McCarthy, top among them. Kevin McCarthy on January 6th, he knew what went down. He raged against Donald Trump from the floor of the House of Representatives on January 6th after they took back the floor from the rioters. Where is he now? He's bowing to that guy every chance he can get. It's laughable. They don't believe in this republic at all. They are a threat to this republic. And if we don't work hard in 2022 and 2024, they will regain power in this country and they may never relinquish it again. They will do whatever they can, use every lever of power, as we've just seen. Jeffrey Rosen is testifying to it. They will use every lever of power to keep power. And that is dangerous. And that needs to be stopped. It's amazing to me. Absolutely amazing to me. That it got that far. And it is even more amazing that things like this Jeffrey Rosen testimony is only coming out now. I know it's only a couple of months later, but... We should have known about this sooner, I think. That's just my opinion. I think he should have came forward during impeachment and just said, look, what's going on here? I can't take this anymore. All right, I got a, I got a, a great guest, uh, good friend of mine, Evan Siegfried. He's been on the show before. I don't think he's been on the podcast, but he's been on my radio show many times. Um, Evan's a great guy. Uh, and, you know, when I'm done with this interview with Evan, I'll come back, I'll wrap it up, I'll tell you, I'll give you a puppy update. So stay where you are. Joining me now, good friend of mine, haven't been on the show in a while, Evan Siegfried is a former Republican strategist who you've seen on MSNBC, Fox, and other places, and a good friend of mine who I haven't talked to in a while. Evan, how you doing? I'm not too shabby. How about yourself? I'm doing okay. Interesting times in New York, to say the least. Uh, you're a New Yorker. You've been involved in New York state politics, as I have, your entire life. And, and and it is, uh, you know, obviously what happened yesterday with the attorney, a couple of days ago with the attorney general of the state of New York issuing a report uh, about the behavior of the governor of the state of New York, Andrew Cuomo. Uh, interesting. What do you what do you see happening going forward? Well, I think Andrew Cuomo is headed toward impeachment. We saw him today put out a statement saying that he's going to cooperate with the impeachment probe, but that the attorney general's report was somehow uh all slanted and ignored exculpatory evidence, and it, it was basically a more sophisticated way of him saying it's a witch hunt, it's mm. the greatest political crime in history. And Cuomo is a very egocentric and prideful man to a fault, and he has no allies right now other than Rudy Giuliani and Greg Kelly of Newsmax. Wow. So, you know, he's got some interesting company, but his 
his time as governor is coming to an end, not in the next 24 hours, but it could be in the next few weeks or months. Yeah, this is the thing. You know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big believer in the longer it drags out, the more life he may or may not get out of it, right? So we saw that this broke earlier in the year in March and everybody thought he was goners. Then it kind of slowed down and it kicked around for a while. And now, you know, we forgot about it until this week. I mean, I don't know about you, but I've forgotten about this investigation. And here we are, this report gets issued and, and you know, now all is, you know, it seems like there's an Andrew Cuomo update every 15 minutes. Well, in February and March, when this first started breaking, it was one woman, then two women. And then we got to three. And that was sort of where it stopped. There was a report of a fourth that did get a lot of traction for just sort of flash in the pan. Right. But now we have 11. And that's confirmed. And I guarantee you there are probably more out there who didn't want to come forward and speak to investigators. But the one that is new, that is most disgusting to me, and not from a political standpoint, but from a moral one, is that he assaulted a, or not assaulted, but he harassed a state trooper who was on his personal protective detail. Mm. And not only that, he saw her before she was on the detail and had his office arrange to have her assigned to his protective detail because he thought she was attractive yeah, and she wasn't even qualified. That is pretty outrageous uh, behavior. And Andrew Cuomo, even if this sort of dies down, he's not going to be able to win back allies. I mean, what politician who wants to be reelected with the vote of women wants to be around this guy when we uh, have people saying, believe all women, but there's no asterisk there saying, except if it's Andrew Cuomo. Yeah. Or well, that's Democrat. the, you know, that is the problem for him, right? You have multiple. That and there's the political one. You, have mul- you, you know, about. you have multiple women coming forward accusing him. And whether or not those accusations are legitimate or not, it's the perception that always kills you in politics. You don't have to be found guilty in a court of law to be found guilty politically. Politics is not a jury. You know, you don't, not everybody gets to be an elected official. People have to make a judgment based on what they know of you. But let me ask you this. I mean, he has survived other things. He has, uh, you know, appears to me at least to have nine lives. Do you see any way out of this for him? Or do you think it's end of the road no matter what? I think it's end of the road no matter what. Because nobody is really talking about at this point. There's also a political consideration here for Democrats. Republicans mistakenly think that this is going to help them in the midterms. Yeah. The way they think it's going to help them, they're wrong about. But it actually could if he stays in power the longer he does. The midterm election, you know, almost 15 months out, is really going to be about the pandemic the economy and crime, unless there's anything drastic that happens between now and then. Right, right. And, you know, there are plenty of seats in New York that are flippable for Republicans and Democrats. Right. And are in play. And what Democratic uh, lawmaker or challenger running for the House of Representatives wants to be able to have their message drowned out by questions about Cuomo from the press and, say, their opponents? It's going to come when they're trying to say, you know, if you're a Democrat who's wanting to run and say, hey, I am tough on crime. These GOP attacks are bunk and all you're getting is Cuomo, Cuomo, Cuomo. And then you yeah. have to address Cuomo. Well, that's the problem, right? That, that's the problem. Every member of the state legislature is up for reelection this year. 
every member of the House of Representatives. But it's even at the federal level. Yeah, Chuck Schumer's up for re-election in 2022. Chuck, I think he's okay. Yeah, but but do you want to go to every single press conference and have every question be, what do you think about Andrew Cuomo? That That is the ultimate problem for, that is why this is the major problem it is immediately for Andrew Cuomo. These lawmakers want to get this out of the way before the calendar turns to 2022 so they don't have to they don't have to answer for him anymore well andrew cuomo is covid to them they want to get rid of him and bury him they don't need any cuomo variants coming around <laughs> see now that's good punditry evan it's good punditry well, they, they should use you more on msnbc i don't understand i used to see you there once a week i mean I don't, i'm not watching as much anymore i'm a puppy parent now so i'm basically a butler to a you know 18 pound uh, golden retriever at the moment. Uh, so it's and you're jealous that she has more hair than you too. She has a lot more hair, very fluffy and very cute. But I'll tell you, man, I am as exhausted as I have been since since my daughter, my my daughter who's now 14, was a baby. And even then, I feel like it wasn't as bad. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it wasn't as bad. We had a little thing. We put the diaper in. We threw it out. This one, I got to get out of a crate, bring her down the stairs, bring her outside, dry her off because the lawn doesn't matter what. The lawn is always wet. The lawn is always wet, Evan. Every doesn't matter what time of day or night it is. I don't know what's going on. I got to check my sprinkler system. I think it sounds like a bigger problem than a sprinkler system. It's a geography system. Yeah, I think it's living by the water on Long Island. There's always some sort of moisture (laughs) accumulating on plant life. So, yeah, so I guess that's, you know, you you make a very good point. And it is going to be the problem of every lawmaker in the state of New York if they don't deal with it right away. And uh, I, you know, it could be a problem with other national Democrats across the country, which which is why they've all called them out. Evan, uh, let's talk a little bit about our friend, for, uh, friend Governor Ron DeSantis in Florida, who I don't understand what he's doing right now. Florida is like spiraling into a COVID abyss. There is a high rate of infection there. Local governments are trying to bring kids back to school safely. And the governor just seems to want to stand in their way. What I mean, to me, this isn't just bad policy. I think long term, it's bad politics. I don't understand where he's going. Well, let's first acknowledge one thing. I'm not a Ron DeSantis fan. I never have been. I supported in 2018 when he was running for governor, his primary opponent, Adam Putnam, who was sort of the 50-year-old looking version of Opie. (laughs) Um, And DeSantis crushed him. Why? Because DeSantis ran the Fox News green room strategy. Mm. He didn't have that much money. He had a little bit of name recognition. Hold on, let's just do a little caveat there. Fox News Green Room, when you and I aren't sitting in it, because we have a much more highbrow view of politics. But go ahead. And we're in New York as opposed to D.C. when he's doing it. True. And he was playing for an audience of one, Donald Trump. He yep. would do every show on Fox he could, from daytime to primetime to early morning. And he ultimately got Trump's endorsement as a result of that. Yep. And Because he was saying the stuff that appeals to Trump. And he couldn't change his stripes after that. Even if in his heart, in behind the scenes, he believes it's something completely different. Right. And now he has become, because of his early COVID response, a darling of the Republican Party. Yeah. And he is now being talked about as the front runner for 2024. Yeah. For the Republican nomination. His reelection is all but assured in 2022. But is it? He, you think it's uh, all but assured? I mean, 
I don't know. I think it is. Nick yeah. Freed and Charlie Crist are going to beat each other up in a primary. Ron DeSantis will have millions upon millions of dollars and crush them. Yeah, but, you know, I always find primaries are good for the winner of the primary. I mean, unless you're damaged by some scandal in the primary, which, you know, we know everything there is to know about, you know, uh, the, it, Charlie Crist. During the financial juggernaut of DeSantis, as well as the name recognition yep. and his approval ratings in Florida, which are still pretty good, uh, you don't. You want to have a clear field if you're a Democrat, because you're just going to be expending energy and effort having to get the other guy out of the way yep. to to get to the general. But DeSantis can't turn away from that. If he turns away from that, he loses all of that goodwill. And DeSantis is doing himself good uh, good on a political level with the MAGA base. Right. However, if he wants to be a serious presidential candidate. Uh, who in a general election against President Biden, or if Biden doesn't run, presumably uh, Vice President Harris, uh, it's going to be a lot harder. And he might be banking on the fact that it might be a less enthusiastic uh, electorate in 2024 than in 2020, because both Trump got his people to come out and anti-Trump forces were said, enough, he's got to go. And DeSantis, he's not, even though he has Trump-like tendencies, he doesn't evoke that anger that Trump did that really powered a lot of not yet. Trump voters to the polls. Not yet, right? But, I mean, not yet. It, it, I, but I, even I don't want to sound completely negative on DeSantis, uh, but there is one thing that I don't think we're talking about in relation to Florida. Yes, cases are surging. Some hospitals are becoming overwhelmed, but the death rate is very, very low still. Right. And that is the one blessing, and it also proves vaccines work. He better help. He better hope it stays that way. Uh, we all should hope, right? Because uh, Florida, I mean, Florida is like a fifty-fifty vaccine state. It's not. It's just like Florida and everything else. It's well, Florida in the first place, even in good times, is what is it? Heaven's waiting room or God's waiting room? Yeah. But you know, it, I really, uh, I don't think it serves anyone for DeSantis and Biden to be cherry or fighting one another in public. At the end of the day, they really need to turn around and say, okay, look, how do we get more people vaccinated? And also, how do we get kids safe in schools? Yes, kids have a lower rate of infection than adults. But with these variants that are out there, you don't know. We could get a variant that could be much more deadly and lethal to kids and more infection. That's my fear. And the best way we all do that or stop that is get everybody now, he's but he's banking on there being no variant that impacts children in Florida. He is threatening school districts who are trying to put mask mask mandates in in place with losing state funding. I I mean it is it it's it's bizarre to me because God forbid and, and you know look so far we've been lucky they haven't really impacted children but these variants keep changing the math every couple of months and we don't know what's going to happen between now and the end of this year. Why would he, you know, why would he take that risk with kids? Because I think that there's a portion of the base that supports him, if, especially if Donald Trump does not run in 2024, yeah. who will say, oh, the variant, if there were that variant the, uh, uh, that came out and really hit kids, they wouldn't care. Yeah. It's not his fault. Yeah, yeah. It's, he was doing being a good governor. He was getting the economy going or whatever excuse he It's used. scary. And that's not going to play very well, though, I don't think outside of deep red MAGA territory. That's just me. Well, again, I think 2024 is going to be 
a uh, a race about who it's going to be more 2016 than 2020. Me too. About uh, who do we like? Uh, who do, uh, between two candidates we don't like? Who do we like slightly? Well, look, there, there, there's bad. that, and and the Republican Party. It, look, the Republican Party is not the party of you. Right. No, it, the Repu- it's not I'm the still you, registered, it, but I consider myself an independent. Right. I mean, the Republican Party, I think, you know, I think the question in 2024 is going to be, are we ready to let these people govern again? These people who don't believe in science, these people don't even necessarily believe in the republic. Do we want to let them govern? Do we want to give them the reins of power? Look what happened the last time. Look, uh, I'm all for returning to the 13 colonies and, uh, you know, it, going to Queen Elizabeth and saying, we're sorry. Yeah. <laughs> How big a bouquet do you have to give to get it fixed? <laughs> Pretty big, man. I, I think you're going to have to get an edible arrangement. I think you're going to have to go there with or that. Or we just imprison Meghan Markle for them. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, 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 keep, we give Meghan Markle a role uh, on some long-running television show so she doesn't come back to England. Yeah, we put her on Survivor. No, not Survivor. No, I'm thinking more like, um, you know, like... Uh, uh, what's that show with the doctors that just never goes off the air? <laughs> on that, or the new HBO series F Boy Island? Yeah, sure that would win her plaudits. Yeah, interesting stuff. All right. Last week, uh, Cory Bush, a freshman member of the United States House of Representatives, did a sit-in on the steps of the Capitol, protest the eviction moratorium lapsing at the end of July. And her protest moved the president of the United States to the point where he instituted another eviction moratorium. And, you know, there is some doubt whether or not that is legal or illegal. But I have been saying that legal or illegal, it buys time for this, you know, tranche of money that was allocated by Congress during the COVID relief package to get to the people who need it. Because right now, a very small percentage of that of those dollars have been uh, been spent. Tell me your view on this. Well, first of all, the fact that a very small percentage of those dollars has been spent reaffirms my belief that we need to make the United States government much more efficient yes. in bureaucracy. Yeah. It's an absolute travesty, and it's also helped to undercut trust in government well, overall. Well, well, Evan, to be fair to the United States government, like everything else we do, we gave that money to the states to administer, and the states have not administered it. It's just Have that you ever simple. found an efficient government office at any level? Well, when it's I was kind of hard to find when I was the chief deputy county executive of Nassau County, we created some efficient government offices. I, I will leave it. At okay. That. I, we, had, we had a program I'll, called I'll No Wrong. On your Tom, Tom Swazi, who was my boss at the time, Congressman Swazi now, um, he created a program called No Wrong Door for social services, where he put all of the social services agencies in one building and basically had like a a window people could come up to with all of their problems and all of the social services agencies were represented by that like customer service representative who would walk constituents through the problem and, you know, help them through the maze. Sounds like Twitter, but impactful. It was very impactful. Anyway, I don't want to go too uh, far into that. <laughs> people, nobody wants to hear my story about how Tom Swazi changed social services in Nassau County. <laughs> uh, I, I'm sure that there's a listener or two out there who does. Yeah. And it's probably Tom Swazi. Yes, I'm sure Tom's listening right now, and he's saying, great, Chris, thank you. Maybe that'll help me if I run for governor. But anyway, go. <laughs> well, here's the thing with the eviction moratorium expiration. What really, it, Cori Bush, she had a very effective publicity stunt. Yeah. Because you had more left-leaning media outlets, both print and TV, taking notice. 
And then they started interviewing people who would be impacted by it. And there were some yeah. gut-wrenching stories, yeah. people whose lives would be completely upended. But the real problem here is we knew back in June that this was the eviction moratorium was unconstitutional and it should and it cannot be renewed. The Supreme Court said so. It said, hey, you know, a government agency can't unilaterally create law. Right. It has to go through the Constitution. Especially property law, right? I mean, yeah. they're, you know, the Constitution, property law is part of the founding of this country, right? It was property owners and their rights. And there's all sorts of case law on how, you know, the government can or cannot impact somebody's personal property. And yeah, exactly. And Congress failed at the end of the day in extending it and doing what the Supreme Court yep. said what it was. The Supreme Court, you may have, uh, you may like or dislike justices because of their ideological views, but at the end of the day, they are the umpires. They're the referees in saying what is allowed and what is not. And they said this isn't allowed. You can fix it right. because at the end of July, it's going to expire. And that what they had weeks to do this. And they and should they have did. done it. And you're right. Congress should have and done it. And I'm... Cory I'm, Bush, to my uh, knowledge, and if I'm wrong, I w- will gladly eat my words. She didn't introduce legislation to fix this. Well, no, 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 no. There there was legislation introduced to fix this. It was part of the spending bill that the House passed that they sent to the Senate that did not get were acted on, right? It'll well, be part it, of... I, it was part of that, you know, $7 trillion dollar budget reconciliation. When you attach it to other things that are so politically... Well, the, the only way you, you can get done a straight bill, the only thing yeah. you can get anything through the United States Senate like that would be through a reconciliation bill. The United States Senate's not going to vote on a moratorium on uh, evictions, just not. Well, I as a creature of the Senate, I would say, yeah, you know, you have to at least give it a shot. Right. You have to have senators stand up and say where they stand on that. But they didn't do it. And then the president, after taking significant heat, over the weekend and uh, late last week, changed course and said, yep, we're going to do it. And he uh, said it in his press conference on Tuesday, yeah, it's probably unconstitutional anyway, but it buys time. And I get that it's buying time, but what is the point of our form of government, which is imperfect, let's be honest, right? if we're going to ignore an entire branch of government and their responsibilities and usurp those responsibilities? Yeah, I mean, it is... If, it, it, in the hands of somebody who could be more dangerous, I get malicious. That. I think that is extraordinarily dangerous for this country. I, I, I agree with you on that point. I just think that the Congress should have acted. You're right. Congress should have acted. They should have extended the moratorium. And quite frankly, we got to find a more efficient way to distribute this money because well, the money is the there. Money. The money is there for landlords and tenants to avoid evictions. It's there. There's plenty well, of it. There's also other factors we should have taken in. It shouldn't be a black and white I ban all evictions or have everybody evicted. There, Congress should have been a little bit more serious on both sides of the aisle and said, okay, look, yes, a lot of, uh, there are a lot of people who, are, who own you know, one property. We're not talking a giant uh, apartment building or even a medium-sized apartment building. It could be somebody owning a second house right. rent out, and that's a second source of income for them. And it make and you know they would be struggling economically because somebody with the eviction moratorium somebody could essentially be squatting and refusing to pay rent. Yeah. We could have carved out in Congress basically a bill that said there's an eviction moratorium for uh, properties uh, that have less than X number of units and done it that way, or they're own, they're owned by you know it's a one person who owns only one or two units. It might be a split level townhouse yeah. and. Staten Island. But, you know, major developers 
Extel doesn't exactly need the eviction moratorium. Uh, they could, should be free to evict them because they are right. Uh, they are luxury high-rise apartment buildings. Right. So uh, I think that the, the, everybody bungled this. And as much as I disagree with Cori Bush, I'm glad she brought attention to it. But I wish that there had been a much more realistic and pragmatic effort to get an issue solved. And it would have been to Washington's credit because the public looks at Washington and says, you guys don't do anything for me. Well, your problem do that every year. The word that is operative here is pragmatic. And I don't know, man, I don't see a lot of pragmatism coming from Washington, D.C. right now. Do you? No, because the bases of each party control the parties. Well, you know, look, I don't want to go. I'm not a both sides. I'm not a both sides. I'm not a both sides guy. I don't think this is a both sides problem. There is one party in Washington that is divorced from reality. And you know this. I know this. Everybody knows it, quite frankly. Even they know it. They're divorced from reality. And you can't have a conversation with them about anything that's going to benefit people that they believe are not in their base. And quite frankly, they're wrong because a lot of people who are in their base would have benefited from this moratorium. Slightly. I don't disagree with what you're saying about the Republican Party. I don't think it's in very good shape. I don't think it's, I think it needs more than couple therapy. I think it needs to be, you know, torn down and rebuilt. I mean, it's a tear down. If you were, well, let's stay on the real estate motif here. The Republican Party is a tear down. They They have some good property. But it's a teardown. you got to tear but that house down. At the same time, there are members in the Democratic Party. We saw it with the compromised uh, infrastructure bill that was negotiated with Senator Portman and uh, Senator Sinema. Well, House Democrats, on the, especially on the progressive side and the squad, signaled that they might be willing to well, vote no. What are they supposed to do? Well, I mean, they've got to stake. Look, the they've got to stake their never. ground. Like if you are in the. Yes, they're staking their ground, but you're missing the big thing here. He, if uh, if you didn't have somebody like a Nancy Pelosi in leadership in the Democratic Party who will ultimately say, OK, you know, you guys can go and vent your frustrations. But at the end of the day, I expect you to vote the uh, right, right way because this does stuff. Uh, you're going to have a problem. And if you are. He, here's the thing. And, 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 and we're running Kevin McCarthy. We're running up against the clock here. And that's why I want to just kind of end this. I believe that that bill will pass, and I believe that there will be a reconciliation bill. I don't think it'll be $3.5 trillion. I think it'll be like $2.75 trillion. And everybody will be able to say they did what they needed to do, and everybody will be happy. And that'll be the end of the, the actual infrastructure bill is a little bit bigger than we thought it was going to be. It's closer to a trillion. It was supposed to be $700 billion. Evan, I'm out of time. Where can people find you? They can find me at Twitter at, at Evan Siegfried or my website, evansiegfried.com. You are the man. Thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me. All right. I hope you enjoyed Evan. He's a great guy. I always enjoy talking to him. He's like Republican classic, right? A Republican who I can disagree with, but who is not trying to destroy the Republic. Who believes that if I beat him in an election, he'll try better next time to beat me. Maybe by coming up with some issues and positions that appeal to more people than my issues and my positions. See, that's how it works in a republic, right? You, you, you tip your hat, you shake your opponent's hand. You know, when you're president of the United States, you concede gracefully. You have an orderly transition. Think George Herbert Walker Bush or uh, think George W. Bush or think Bill Clinton or Barack Obama or Jimmy Carter, 
Just think about people who have done it. You tip your hat. You say, I'll get you next time. How can I be a good American and help you transition? Unbelievable that we had to go through that uh, and that we're still going through it because the guy still really hasn't conceded the election. He's an idiot. And the people who support him are just blindly following a fool. Anyway, I'm saying this because I'm talking about how much I love Evan, uh, who I've known for years. Uh, He's a New York guy. We, We would see each other in green rooms at Fox. He's pleasant. I enjoy his company. And it's like, you know, why can't all Republicans be like Evan? We just disagree on particular things. You heard the disagreement when we were talking about, uh, you know, tenants' rights in the last segment. By the way, you also heard me talk about my puppy, uh, which has been dominating my life and still is dominating my life. I, uh, I, I might sound a little bit better. She's sleeping a little bit better, but still getting up every like three hours or so, but she goes right back to sleep now, which is, which is a plus. (laughs) It's a real plus. So she's, uh, she's a handful. I'm having a problem finding a fence contractor, which is driving me nuts. I got an estimate on a fence that, you know, I thought to myself, um, I've bought several cars that cost less than what this guy is asking me for the fence. And then I had other people come and they gave me estimates and then that didn't include clearing the, the you know, I, you know, I I live in the woods here and I have an old fence back there and, uh, you know, I guess some trees have fallen down on it. My other dog has never tried to go through the fence. My other dog, which, you know, moved to Utica with my daughter. Um, this dog has been challenging the fence already and she's 12 weeks old. By the way, she's gained four pounds in a week. Um... So I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to do with this fence. I guess I'm going to just have to try to patch it up myself, maybe fix the fence in the back. I'm not very handy, America. It's not really what I do. I'm, I'm a guy who talks into a microphone. I'm a guy who writes things on paper, can make a good speech, can make an excellent argument. Uh, but I'm not the kind of guy you want building stuff, but I really don't want to spend $12,000 on a freaking fence. Okay. <laughs> and I don't look, I don't have a big yard. I don't. I, I live in a nice location, but it's not big. 12,000, I mean, I I was blown away because last year I got an estimate for the fence because I was thinking about getting the fence fixed for the other dog and it was like 6,000. So you tell me, I get it, everything's gone up over the last year, but double? Are you freaking kidding me? I don't don't get that. So yeah, I'm gonna get out some, I guess I'm gonna have to get a machete or something to cut all this brush back that's by my fence or maybe just clippers. I don't know what I'm gonna do. And I'll have to figure out a way to try to keep that, you know, fix the section that's broken and, you know, live another day and hope that the cost of lumber comes down and I could get a fence for like five grand or something. I don't, uh, you know, the, the, the back part is chain link. It, this is just, you don't want to hear this. Anyway, the puppy's too cute. I don't want to running out, uh, you know, and getting hit by a car because this dog, you know, like my other dog used to get afraid of cars. This dog wants to chase the cars. <laughs> so it's, she's, she's going to be a handful. We're going to have lots of conversations about the dog on the Aggressive Progressive podcast because I think the Aggressive Progressive has finally met the Aggressive Puppy and the Aggressive Puppy is dominating the Aggressive Progressive's life. But I really do appreciate everything you do for me by listening to this show. I know I've got a bunch of emails I got to answer. I saw them there. I'm not ignoring you. I'm like getting like one minute of sleep and I got a lot to do, but I will get to you. Trust me. I love you. I love it when you email me. Keep doing it. Uh, At Christopher Hahn on Twitter, Christopher Hahn NY on Instagram. And I want to remind you now, as I always do, to seek the truth. Question everyone and everything, even me. Seek the truth. I know it's out there, and I know you'll find it if you look for it. 
And I'll be back here again next week to tell you the truth as I see it. I'm Chris Hahn. Thanks for listening to the Aggressive Progressive Podcast.